Welcome to the very first episode of the Gold Factor podcast, Summon Your Greatness. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Bernadette Gold, transformation and high-performance coach, spiritual guide, and author, here to bridge personal growth with spiritual wisdom for everyday issues of the heart, mind, and soul, turning the ordinary into the extraordinary. In this first season, we embark on an adventure in my audiobook, The Crooked Path to a Charmed Life, a clairvoyant medium's journey to embracing her spiritual gifts. It's not just a memoir. It's a deep dive into my spiritual journey and transformation, weaving through both the seen and the unseen realms. In season one, we'll explore everything from the paranormal to profound transformation. You'll hear about overcoming trauma, harnessing my spiritual gifts for conscious manifestation and finding alignment with a higher purpose. And if you're an animal lover, you're going to enjoy the heartwarming and humorous tales of the animals that have crossed my path. This season is about the real and the raw, the triumphs, the challenges, and the moments of divine insight. As I release multiple episodes from my book every Wednesday in season one, I invite you to join me in uncovering the tapestry of life's most beautiful mysteries. Together, we'll discover the magic in the mundane and the extraordinary in the everyday. Your adventure to a deeper, more connected life begins now. The Crooked Path to a Charm Life, a clairvoyant medium's journey to embracing her spiritual gifts. Written by Bernadette Gold, narrated by Bernadette Gold. The Crooked Path to a Charm Life. Preface. Years ago, spirit prompted me to write a memoir, an account of my life as I journeyed through the unseen realms. Born a clairvoyant, clairaudient, medium, and empath, I've always been able to see angels and spirits, hear their voices, receive teachings, and connect to God. Although these are great blessings and sacred gifts, there have been times in my life when they have been burdens, weighing heavily on my mind and heart. As I sit to write, I am filled with resistance to unearth personal stories, feelings, and memories long since buried. With a sense of vulnerability, tinged with fear, I'm sharing events and incidents directed by spirit, trusting it will help those who read it. Please understand, while I refer to God a lot, I am not referring to the religious God. The Tao Te Ching calls it the nameless, that if named, loses all meaning, or the mother of 10,000 things. You can call it universe, source, father, mother, infinite creator. To me, it's all the same. One God, one creation. After years of religious deprogramming, I can call upon God, spirit, universe, creator, instantly connecting to all that is. It's been a blessing to witness miracles and manifestations that are nothing short of awe-inspiring, even to me. I've agonized over feelings of not belonging anywhere on this planet throughout my life, feeling much of the time as if I'm alive by some mistake. As a result, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, and even ideas of suicide. I hope that my journey will help you to understand your journey and heal your wounds. The retelling of my life from my perspective is by no means meant to be taken as fact perception, beliefs, and experiences create a filter of our worldview, making it very personal. I don't believe that my accounts of events is 100% accurate, except to me. It is my vision of events, how these events affected me and still affect me, that I relate them. In the year 2000, I began giving psychic readings professionally. Since then... I have walked with angels by my side, filled with every emotion available in the human experience. If not for the support of God, my guides, angels, and the Holy Spirit, 
I would not be here today. Although I've struggled to understand my purpose on this planet and in this lifetime, I am finally at a place where I am not only empowered to stand in my truth, but to share it with others. I've spent a good deal of my life running from the responsibility of my psychic gifts and soul's obvious path. The funny thing about rejecting your soul's plan is that no matter how hard you try to get away from it, it follows you relentlessly. Everything changed when I finally submitted my life to be a vessel of service to God's divine plan. What people now see is a woman transformed by years of the work I've done with the angels and spirit, in addition to a steady course of deep internal self-reflection. It is only because of their unceasing support and guidance that I am not only alive, but thriving. I hope that others struggling the way I have in the past can find solace in knowing they are not alone. The Holy Spirit and God's angelic army are here for us to assist in the human journey and guide us to our highest good. Though painful at times, there is such a beauty in life and all its experiences. This time we live in is a pivotal time in history. God is calling many people forward into the light of service. Some are called to have visions, give messages, or heal. Others to anchor the light of love, joy, peace, compassion, and kindness. No matter what our spiritual gifts are, God has chosen each of us for a specific task that we agreed to before our birth and assigned angels to help us each step of the way. My prayer for everyone is that we all come to know God the way I do, each in our own way. I pray that everyone can feel the true Spirit of God in their life, guiding, directing, and loving them. It is my deepest hope that sharing my story inspires others to fulfill their purpose in a powerful way that spreads love and compassion. I pray, Spirit, to guide us all to the light of God, a light truly unfathomable from our narrow human perspective. There have been many characters in my life who have taught me many lessons. I am not a victim, but a seeker of truth and a perpetual student in this world. Names have been changed to protect the privacy and anonymity of the people included in the book. My search for understanding has taken me many places and through many challenges, yet I never walked alone. This connection to God has blessed me with an amazing journey with the angels and spirit. Chapter 1, 1992, The Vision That Changed Everything In 1992, I lived with my one-year-old daughter and her father in a small town in eastern Washington, where I began an intense study of the Bible. So many strange things were occurring in my life during that time, both good and evil. It was a farming community with a vegetable processing plant in the center of town. Migrant workers came seasonally to preserve vegetables. Farmers grew acres of wheat. The tone was mellow. Small town, America. I certainly thought it was a harmless place at first glance. When my daughter Brindy was just a few months old, she was hospitalized at Seattle Children's Hospital. Unable to hold her formula down, she was diagnosed with infant gastroesophageal reflux. In addition... The lower esophageal sphincter, or LES, a muscle that separates the esophagus from the stomach, wasn't fully developed. In the room next door was a young family with an infant daughter that had a heart condition. The other mother and I hit it off instantly, keeping each other company while our babies were being poked, tested, and treated for their ailments. My new friend referred my husband to a job in a small town of migrants and farmers where she lived. It was an opportunity we seized when Brindy recovered. Moving east, we settled into a lovely old blue Victorian, 
surrounded by apple trees, horse pastures, and beautiful meadows just outside of town. Born and raised in Southern California, I was a city girl through and through. I lived in Seattle through junior high and high school, returning to California after graduation. Shortly before Brindy was born, I moved back to the Seattle area to be near family. Although I trained horses, knowing the dirty work involved in farm work, I was ill-prepared for the education I was about to receive. Once settled in our new home, the rancher's wife decided she would school me in the ways of the farm. These duties extended beyond anything even remotely familiar to me. We were required to attend church with her and her husband, and I had to allow her to teach me the sound habits and traditions of a good Christian woman. Within days of our arrival, she taught me how to pluck a chicken, bake bread, preserve tomatoes, and measure the proper portions to feed our husbands and farmhands. Without warning, my life was thrown into a flurry of change and expectations. I was exhausted from raising a one-year-old and doing my best to adjust to my new life. I had little time to pay attention to a lot of small things happening around me. I found myself thrust into a surreal world of spirits, both benevolent and malevolent, inside and outside of our home. Noises, unseen voices, and spooky chanting all began to fill the house at various times of the night and day. I was utterly overwhelmed, scared, and confused. I gradually made a couple of friends while attending the Assembly of God Church in town. Then, I cautiously began asking questions about the area, the house we lived in, and the town's history. I wanted to get information that would help me make sense of what was happening to me. Unfortunately, my husband didn't seem concerned, believing I was just freaking out from living so far out in the sticks. It's important to note that I can recall seeing angels, having friends no one else could see, and feeling protected by unseen allies throughout my whole life. Seeing spirits wasn't new to me, but the initiation I was entering was something I could never have imagined. Being raised in a Catholic family turned Christian, talking about spirits, ghosts, or anything else that frightened us was unacceptable. Entering Catholic school in kindergarten, I realized the nuns didn't really know God or his spirit. It was always much better to keep my visions and unseen allies a secret. My unseen friends comforted me, played with me, and often gave me a heads up on how best to protect myself and my relationship with them. They cautioned me about sharing with others what I saw and experienced. Living with an emotionally unstable mother made it even harder to speak about any of my human feelings. Much of my life as a child was about surviving and avoiding trouble. I did everything I could to avoid attention, to keep from getting spanked either at home or at school. I trusted my friends in spirit far more than the humans who appeared to be so ignorant of so much. Things got increasingly intense as the weeks in the farmhouse passed. Bats would circle our house and dive bomb us as we walked in and out. Voices from beyond would haunt me while I was in the kitchen. The entire upstairs of the house was always cold and eerie. I hated going up to the sitting and reading room we had on the third floor. Dark and scary, it always felt as if someone or something was watching, waiting for an opportunity to attack. I continued my research into the town and the history behind it. There was an attitude of blatant racism and limited thinking that I'd never quite experienced before. Growing up in California and Seattle, both melting pots of culture, there weren't such biased, hateful beliefs about the color of one's skin. 
nor had I ever been exposed to the religious dogma of the Assembly of God Church. I began to pray earnestly for assistance and answers, realizing there was so much I didn't know. The more I prayed, the more lucid my dreams became, creating an awareness that I was dreaming while still asleep. Soon, I began having waking dreams, or visions with scenes that played out like holographic images full of sound, color, and smell. Clairvoyance and clairaudience both intensified as I continued to seek help from the heavenly realms. Religious dogma intensified too. Ordinary things like wearing makeup, cutting my hair, and not wearing nylons were considered sinful in the church. Members of the congregation were quick to chastise and criticize me. Not attending church wasn't an option, an unstated rule. Even if you didn't fully believe in God, you were expected to attend. Sitting through sermons at church every Wednesday evening and Sunday morning, I began experiencing strange things with my hearing. It was as if my hearing was shutting down, replaced by loud, high-pitched ringing. My ears wouldn't stop ringing no matter how hard I tried to clear them. I felt like I was being pulled into a soundproof tunnel, totally disorienting me until the pastor concluded the service. However, once he stepped off the podium, my hearing and balance always returned to normal. Eventually, I began to notice glowing colors, dark shadows, and shapes around some of the people in the church. At the same time, the dreams and messages I was receiving from spirit were getting more precise, sustaining me through all the turmoil. One Sunday morning, when a visiting minister was preaching, not only did my hearing close off, but I very clearly heard, she is not of God. I remember looking around to see if someone was sitting close by, trying to talk to me. But everyone was distracted, mesmerized by this minister's teaching. Dark orbs began bouncing around the church, crawling along the floor and walls like beetles, unsettling me to the core. One of my friends at church began meeting with me to talk and pray together. Fran was much older than me, but a welcome relief to a growing feeling of isolation and alienation. She had lived in town her whole life and was aware of the eerie feelings constantly in the air. We talked daily. She would answer all my questions frankly and honestly. My new friend was a huge relief and blessing in my life. I confided in her, sharing everything that was happening. And she was eager to listen, never put off, and always supportive through it all. Fran was the first person I'd ever known who believed me and didn't think I was crazy when I shared my dreams and the messages from the angels. She was fascinated that I had so much information about a place I had just moved to. Fran's desire to get closer to God was growing, and though she didn't have experience with the higher realms, she was open to exploring communication from spirit and the angels. A compassionate warrior at church, she prayed for many people and offered her time in contemplation to help others. When I told her about the dark orbs, she would simply say, it makes sense. I never knew what that meant to her, but it was comforting for me to hear. My husband's job was growing difficult for him while I continued dealing with the crazy phenomena alone. The rancher and his wife were demanding, far beyond the scope of his responsibilities. He decided to quit. That meant we would have to vacate the house immediately. We rented a small one-bedroom in town, close to Fran. My husband got a new job with Schwann's delivery, including an hour commute. Fran and I continued to share and study the Bible, as things on the new home front were quiet and peaceful, at least for a while. 
I remember feeling strange the first time I saw the house, but dismissed it as the town's eerie feel, not the home itself. As the weeks wore on, I slept less and less. I studied and talked to spirit in my free time. When Brindy played or slept, I would sleep an hour here or there between reading and writing notes every day. My life became surreal. The lines between physical and non-physical were hard to discern. The waking visions were more regular and my dreams more lucid. I was fascinated by the insights downloaded into my consciousness with clarity and ease. I asked God to direct me to a teacher who can make all this more accessible and faster. One day, while praying, I heard, You aren't going to have a teacher. We will teach you. You are to remain incorruptible in your understanding. This voice told me that I would become very transparent in how I live my life. I was to live above reproach, which meant I wouldn't be cut off guard by someone's accusations or finding fault in me. I was instructed to live an authentic life, not perfect, but transparent. If called into question, I'd have nothing to hide. With my spiritual initiation well underway, the peace in our little blue house was suddenly interrupted by something I couldn't see. A root cellar located outside the kitchen door on the back of the property scared me to death. Any time I was in the kitchen, I could feel dark, heavy energy that seemed to pulse in the direction of that cellar. I avoided the root cellar, but that didn't stop whatever was living in there from coming into the house. One day, while doing dishes, Brindy was fussy playing under the kitchen table. It was a cheap table with plastic covers over the screws connecting the legs. Brindy had been a little agitated, sticking close to me as I cleaned. Then, when I turned my back to put a dish away, I heard a blood-curdling scream. I looked down to see she'd somehow gotten her fingers caught in one of the plastic screw covers. I panicked, struggling to free her little fingers while trying to comfort her without success. Eventually, I called the fire department for help. When they arrived, they had no idea how she'd gotten her fingers stuck, yet stuck she was. They put dish soap over her fingers as they cut the plastic cover to free her hand. Although she looked frightened as she clung to my leg, I was grateful she was okay. I thanked the crew as they were leaving, listening to them go on and on about how bizarre it was for her to get stuck. I wasn't as shocked as they were, of course, as the supernatural incidents were spiraling out of control. I didn't mention that to them, though since I was already considered a bit weird by certain community factions. Fran was the only person I could talk to, but she was busy dealing with her own crisis at home. In tandem, the deeper I got into subtle and spiritual realms, the more supernatural events were happening to both of us. Days went by after Brindy's episode, without any more strange events. But my dreams were a constant transmission source. I was having a hard time keeping pace in my journals. Then, one snowy afternoon, sitting in the living room, reading the Bible, the most detailed vision began unfolding before me. I was half asleep, half awake. I found myself in a meadow filled with the brightest colors, the beauty surrounding me far beyond the most beautiful meadow I'd ever seen. In this vision, an angel appeared and began to speak with me as we walked through these fields of wildflowers and grass. He introduced himself as Archangel Uriel. Requesting that I listen carefully to what I was told and shown, Uriel instructed me to write down and keep the record, stating that someday it would make sense. 
As Uriel and I walked effortlessly through the meadow, I noticed that it wasn't hot or cold. There was no wind or clouds. Instead, it was colorful, alive, and vibrant. He told me there was important work to do, that I was being prepared for new experiences. He explained things were changing for me, and while life would be challenging, I would always be protected. Suddenly, the scene changed. The light meadow faded, and we stood between rows of tall evergreens. Darkness filled the sky with thick fog that had a feeling of weight to it. Hundreds, if not thousands of people began running towards us as if we were invisible. At first, I didn't realize what they were running for or from. Then I saw it. To the left of me, at the far edge of the clearing, I could see the darkness chasing people, enveloping everything and everyone in its path. The trees, the people, even the grass all turned to nothingness. It was as if this massive gloom was devouring any living thing. People were trying very hard to outrun it without any direction. They just ran. I found myself with Archangel Uriel at a barrier made of turnstiles, like those found at Disneyland. Heaven was on the other side of the turnstile, looking just like the lush fields where Uriel and I began the vision. Each person was trying to cross into the light, had to be counted by the turnstiles, wreaking havoc as everyone panicked. There was a total disregard for others. The crowd was trampling older people, children, and the sick as everyone ran. I was very confused by what I was seeing, but Uriel spoke to me without uttering a word of concern. In the end, you have a big job, he said. When the darkness moves in, you will help save them and guide them. Do everything you can to get them into the light, to safety. Just as Uriel spoke those words, he vanished, and another man appeared, yelling at me to help throw people over the turnstiles. I tried to calm the masses and grab the weakest, oldest, and youngest, lifting them over the barriers. Once in the light, strength, vitality, and health returned to each person. They were radiating love. This man and I were running back and forth, trying to save and direct as many as we could. The darkness continued to close in, snuffing out anyone in its path. Those caught up vanished. Finally, the man and I jumped over the barriers ourselves, just as the dark clouds reached the turnstiles. Once safely on the other side, I found myself in the meadow again, greeted this time by a few other angels, Daniel from the Bible and Archangel Uriel. They smiled at me as Uriel and Daniel guided me to a river. Uriel explained we were at the river of life. The water mesmerized me, flowing freely, a color unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was crystal clear, living and pulsing, as though it had a heartbeat. Daniel directed me to drink from the river using my cupped hands. I instantly felt calmer, more energized, and alive. Uriel asked me what my favorite food was. Since being pregnant, there was only one answer. Strawberry banana milkshakes. Instantly, the scene changed. We now stood before a hillside of wild strawberries. Uriel told me to take a bite. My mouth exploded with the juiciest, most luscious strawberry I'd ever tasted, mimicking a smooth strawberry banana milkshake. He seemed amused by my reaction, explaining that in heaven, anything you think about or want, anywhere you want to be, brings it right to you. 
Daniel shared stories about his time on Earth and his challenges as a spiritual warrior. Both gave me a lot to consider and an excellent education about the times to come. They informed me that I was a spiritual warrior who could help those suffering and battle against dark forces. They forewarned of a time when the darkness would rise to overtake the ones in the light. It was unclear how that would play out, but I knew these angels would be there to assist me at the right time. My head was spinning with so many questions, and yet I felt no fear. Instead, I had a knowing that what I witnessed was indeed real. As we said our farewells, I heard a voice speak out. In the days of darkness, when evil is on the rise, you shall rise to save the lost, weak, and brokenhearted. As I type these words, chills cover my body and tears are streaming down my face. That vision of saving the people from darkness repeated nightly for over a month. It was the last dream each night, the clarity so embedded. It feels like it happened yesterday. It took me many years to understand what Spirit showed me and how I would fulfill my job. It was a 45-minute commute to shop for groceries in a larger neighboring town. I babysat my friend's toddlers one day, so they joined Brindy and me for a casual drive to Walla Walla. I was a bit tired by the time we arrived. The three girls fell asleep within minutes as we made the trek home. I was singing to the radio, cruising down the country roads, yet somehow fell asleep at the wheel. Right before I woke up, I saw a beautiful, ethereal set of wings spread wide over my entire body as I heard Psalms 91 spoken loudly in a male voice. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Twenty miles had passed before my eyes popped open at a stop sign, ten minutes from home. As the car came to a sudden stop, I became fully conscious and heard another voice say, almost audibly, Roll down the windows. I did so quickly as I struggled to make sense of what was happening. Since I was close to home, I made a beeline for my house, got the kids out, and ran inside. I was afraid to tell my friend what had happened when she picked up her kids. I shared the whole story with my husband, though, when he got home from work. The very next day, he took the car in and explained to the mechanic what had happened. They checked my exhaust system and confirmed it had a horrible carbon monoxide leak. They repaired it immediately. We were thankful. No one was hurt. After sitting with the events of the drive, I was in awe. Winding country roads with ditches on either side were not easy to navigate awake. How was I able to stay on the road for over 20 minutes without wrecking the car? As I questioned everything that happened, the vision of the wings appeared in my mind's eye. I felt a surge of peace and knew it was divine protection that saved me that day and even drove my car while we were all passed out. Did I mention it was a five-speed stick shift? Not exactly a vehicle, that can in any way drive itself. Study and spiritual warfare were the main focus. Raising Brindy consumed the rest of my time. It seemed the more I understood about what was happening in the church and town, the more spiritual attacks occurred in our everyday lives. One day, Fran and I walked around town and circled the church to pray against the threatening darkness. I heard a loud voice yell, jump in the ditch, and felt a shove from behind me in broad daylight. I grabbed Fran's arm and pulled her into the ditch with me. As we stumbled, a loud yellow Dodge Charger came speeding down the road right for us. Even though we were safely entrenched, we were still sprayed with gravel as he sped away. Had we not been warned by some unseen protector, I don't doubt that we would both be dead. 
Unfortunately, we weren't able to see the driver, obscured by black-tinted windows. We'd never seen that car before in our little town and never saw it again. Not long after that day, all hell broke loose in Fran's home and ours. Seeking more answers, Fran and I discovered a large witch coven conducting black magic ceremonies almost nightly. Not only were these women performing rituals, but they just happened to be the wives of the local politicians, churchgoers to boot. Their meetings took place well past midnight inside the town hall offices, down in the basement. One night, Fran and I observed hundreds of bats circling the courthouse while we listened to chanting in what sounded like Latin, permeate the building inside and out. I hated going downtown, feeling a heavy dread of darkness every time I drove in that vicinity. Unfortunately, Fran lived only blocks away from the hub. Huddled in, she would call to tell me what was happening as we both committed to pray for divine light to enter the scene. Documenting all the messages and revelations I was receiving was exhausting, but exhilarating. Meanwhile, visited frequently by the visiting woman pastor, our church was becoming more bizarre by the day. Her energy was infiltrating the way everything felt, from the pastor's home to the services themselves. I was subjected to several weeks of her prophesying, tolerating her dirty looks cast my way. In one service, she pointed right at me with her skinny finger and judgmental tone, raising the hair on the back of my neck. Once home, Spirit instructed me to deliver a message to the church elders that would shine a light on the recent changes in the congregation's lives. Unfortunately, None of the changes had been for the better. I had no idea what the message was, but Spirit assured me that the words would come if I were willing to give my voice to God. Unsure of myself, standing before this group of elders and the pastor, it was apparent they were very resistant to hearing any messages from me. They had branded me a witch who listened to demons. They asked, why would God use you to speak to us? Immediately, my mouth began to move, and what came out surprised me as much as them. God used a jackass to speak to the Apostle Paul. He can surely use me. It took everything I had not to laugh, but the reprimand continued as Spirit spoke to each member in a very personal way. I don't remember much of what was said, but I remember the shock on each person's face as I spoke each of their sins in vivid detail. Things I had no way of knowing were brought into the light and exposed. Just before Spirit began calling these folks on the carpet through me, they used my cigarette smoking as a sure sign that I was a sinner. Spirit replied, Where does the Bible say, Thou shalt not smoke? Spirit proceeded to recite the sins as listed in the Bible word for word. It was quite a show. In the end, as the elders refused to listen, Spirit whispered, Leave and don't look back. At 26 years old, this was the first time Spirit guided me to deliver this kind of message, and I hoped it was my last. It was the official public debut of my natural-born gifts clairvoyance, clairaudience, and claircognizance. That winter, the roads became challenging to navigate as the snow blanketed our little eastern Washington town. After being kicked out of the church, I spent a lot of time at home alone. On a rare night, returning from a dinner out, we pulled up to the house, admiring the lovely winter landscape enveloped in freshly fallen snow. Appreciation turned to horror when I saw a prominent, dark figure running away toward the backyard and the root cellar from the corner of the house. Instantly struck with terror and dread, stomach in knots, 
I turned to my husband, who saw it too. We quickly got Brindy out of her car seat, grabbing a flashlight from the trunk, making our way toward the front door. There was an obvious path of footprints in the snow leading to the back of the house. Once inside, I ran frantically through the house, turning all the lights on. Filled with a sense of dread, I placed her safely in the playpen. We headed outside, following the tracks, noticing these were not human footprints or shoe prints. Instead, there were three long, talon-looking skinny toes and a heel, resembling large chicken feet. Completely terrified, we both saw the figure again as it ran straight to the damned root cellar. Neither one of us was willing to go down there, convinced this was no person. We returned to the house, uncertain of what to do, trying to forget what happened. The following day, I was alone in the house with Brindy, sitting on the sofa studying. I began to sense a heavy energy all around us. I had just read a few of the Psalms and felt at peace when a heaviness filled the room. I reached for Brindy, who was on the floor in front of me. In a split second, her little body lifted into the air as she flew toward the front of the wood stove, where a fire was burning hotly. Her hands touched the front of the stove before she immediately fell to the floor. I grabbed her quickly, took both her hands into mine, and watched as tiny blisters began to form. I was desperate, but more than that, I was pissed. I called out to Archangels Michael, Raphael, and Uriel for healing. As I prayed for protection and healing over her, her hands miraculously returned to a normal color, and her crying ceased. In awe, I knew this was divine intervention. I turned my attention to the thing that caused this horrible attack. The angels led me to bind it, using the name of Jesus Christ, also invoking the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the house. Immediately, the thick, heavy energy lifted, replaced by a lighter feeling of safety. For the first time in a long time, I felt an overwhelming peace. I hugged my baby until she and I both fell asleep on the couch. Later that night, when her dad got home, I relayed what happened. Convinced it was no longer safe to stay in this strange, dark little town, we decided to move back to Western Washington. As we began making the arrangements to leave, money was tight and groceries were running low. Although we had a few packages left in a meat freezer locker in town from the quarter cow that was a part of my husband's benefits on the farm, Confident we only had two big pieces of meat left in the locker, I prayed that it would feed us for the time we had left before leaving for Seattle. By now, I had experienced divine providence and the power of manifestation many times. Not thinking about anything other than cleaning the locker out and closing our account, I opened it. I was shocked by what I saw. Instead of just two remaining chunks of meat, the locker was almost completely full. Steaks, roasts, and a couple of pounds of ground beef were inside. I ran to the front of the store and asked the owner if anyone had been in our locker. He assured me that since it was our lock, no one else could access it. When I told him I was closing the locker and our account because we were moving, he happily handed me a cardboard box to pack the meat as I signed off on our contract. I must have been glowing as I loaded that meat into the box. He asked if I was happy we were moving. With a look, I'm sure, of sheer joy on my face, I didn't want to say too much. I just nodded, packed the car, and made a swift getaway. Once home, I unloaded all the meat into our freezer, Leaving out a steak for dinner, I dropped to my knees and thanked God for multiplying the meat. I had no idea it was even possible for such a thing to happen. I then recalled how Jesus fed thousands with just a couple of loaves of bread. Finally, my husband arrived home to a lovely steak dinner with potatoes. 
As I relayed the events of the day, we both felt grateful, in awe, delighted, and full. The abundance of meat in our locker was the perfect amount to keep us well-fed until moving day, which, thankfully, seemed to arrive quickly. Finally, I could get my life back, reconnect with family and friends, leaving the darkness behind. Looking back at my initiation into the subtle realms of light and dark, people asked me later why I didn't clear that little house before moving. The fact was, I was young, ill-equipped to clear a house of evil, and wasn't instructed to do so by spirit. Our time there was about awakening my gifts and learning how to recognize the forces of light and dark. There was so much dense, heavy gloom there that I'm not sure I could have cleared it, with or without guidance by spirit. When we left the house, we left the energy as it was before moving in. I never recommend clearing a property without proper tools and training. Depending on the strength of the dark entity or energy, you can make things worse by attempting it. It's always wise to have someone skilled and experienced perform rituals for cleansing the space. I wish I could say that the effects of our encounters didn't impact my family in the long run. I'm sorry to say it did. Once back in Seattle, I had a chance to breathe and review the teachings and revelations of our Eastern Washington escapades. I recalled Spirit's disclosures about a particular group of entities affecting the town, the people, and the churches. My angels and guides explained that it was a legion of them operating as one. They intended to cause division, sexual immorality, addiction, and ultimately, loss of faith. Their targets were those who have faith in God, source energy, who are kind, loving, and innocent. Children seem to be their priority, intending to strip them early of their innocence and faith. Because there are many spirits to the legion, it quickly absorbs energy from the victims of the attacks. Psalms 91 was given to me to pray daily to strengthen my connection and faith. This legion of spirits, which I will not name, seemed to be growing in size and influence. It was not by coincidence that I found a pastor in Seattle who was given the same information. I stumbled upon his church one day and attended a service where he exposed the legion's name and what it was here to accomplish. His church had been exposed to it by the same prophetess visiting minister who brought it to our church in the small eastern town. It ripped through his congregation, ending several marriages, inflicting great hardship among its members. Like my friend Fran's family, several children suffered sexual molestation during the spiritual attacks on his church. Approaching the pastor after the service, I explained what we had gone through and the revelations, warfares, and events. Since I was very young and even younger looking, his attitude was one of dismissal. For whatever reason, he didn't seem interested in talking to me further or extending any help in understanding the events we lived through. We decided it would be better to leave the church and put it all behind us. Unfortunately, triggers were ignited within my husband when we began discussing the events amongst ourselves and a couple of friends. My husband suddenly began to distance himself from our daughter and me. He began working later and later at night, no longer communicating with me. Money was tight, and some of it seemed to be missing from our bank account. One day, while out buying groceries, our card was declined. I checked the bank balance realizing my husband had taken $100 out of the ATM without telling me. When I confronted him about it, he denied it. I matched the ATM with an address he had serviced through his work receipts, located right across the street from a job he did. He wouldn't tell me what he used the money for. It was weeks later before I managed to put it all together. My husband had started drinking and partying every night at local clubs. Within months of returning to the Seattle area, we were at odds. Repressed memories of childhood sexual abuse began to surface in my husband. Something was wrong. We were not getting closer, 
but moving further apart. His mood swings, angry outbursts, and lies were scaring me. I sought advice from pastors in the Assembly of God Church, not knowing where else to turn. Advised that I was to submit to my husband, no matter what was happening. Using scripture to inform me that, as God is the head of the church, your husband is in charge of you. Confusion turned to anger as I listened to instructions that would leave me in an abusive situation. Is this what God wants? Is this the God I have followed, loved, and been guided by all these years? My head was swimming, my body gripped by tension, unable to breathe. It didn't make sense. How can a loving God expect me to stay in fear and abuse? Yelling at this God of the church, I refuse to submit. The energy behind this religious God didn't come close to what I felt when receiving guidance from spirit. Controlling, devoid of love, compassion, and kindness. If this is God, I refuse to have any part in it. Sadly, this is the same religious God that was held over me as a child, making me feel as if I was inherently wrong. So that was it. I decided to break ties with the church, Instead, I listened to my feelings, following my discernment. If I was sinning by leaving my husband, then so be it. Feeling helpless, I started to pull away. My hair at the time was almost to my waist, which my husband loved. And for that reason, I cut it all off into a pixie cut, hoping you wouldn't touch me. As the hair fell to the floor, I felt like I was cutting away my past, When he arrived home, he was shocked at my appearance, but it worked. He no longer wanted to touch me, and his anger grew. So did the distance between us. We separated within weeks, beginning the process of divorce. For months, things were quiet on the spiritual front. I was busy working multiple jobs to support Brindy and myself. The past seemed like a distant memory that never really happened. I was still studying and journaling a lot, but I certainly wasn't focused on demons, angels, religion, or what we lived through. It was a nice breather and the break I needed before the next set of lessons appeared. Unable to reconcile the God I knew and the religious God, I pushed aside all references to God. I stopped praying, journaling, and meditating. Brindy had been super close to her dad before our separation. She missed him greatly since he refused to see her for months on end. He had moved to Portland to stay with his mom, refusing to visit or stay in touch with his little girl. He was unreachable, secretive, and unresponsive. While I felt guilty for leaving, I knew I couldn't live the way we were anymore, I couldn't dwell on the past. I had to focus on what was before us. Working as a waitress to pay the bills, I kept busy, too tired to overthink or get stuck in my head. While waiting on an older customer with dementia named Odie, I received a call from his daughter, his caretaker. She wanted to know if Odie was eating breakfast there. He had wandered off alone. She couldn't figure out where else he would go. (laughs) But of course, He was eating his oatmeal at his regular table. So she asked that I keep an eye on him until she could come to pick him up. That was easy for me because he was such a sweet, quiet man. Weeks passed, Odie showed up accompanied by a man in his 40s that slightly resembled him. It was a pleasure to serve them both. The man introduced himself as Odie Jr., He asked if I had waited on his dad when he went missing and thanked me for watching over him. We began a conversation about energy and the universe. He asked if I would be willing to read a book. Odie Jr. left me with a copy of The Celestian Prophecy. He said he was visiting family and would be returning soon to discuss. I dove right into the book, discovering I loved it. I sat down with Odie Jr. later to review its many spiritual insights. He asked if you could do anything for fun, what would it be? 
That was a no-brainer. I would record some songs I wrote and make a demo fulfilling a dream I nurtured for a while. In a whirlwind, we exchanged contacts. Before I could wrap my head around what was happening, Odie Jr. wired me $10,000 to record my demo and take voice lessons, saying it was all in the name of fun. He said, no matter what comes out of this, just promise you will have fun. I had already written several songs that were candidates for the studio, but I felt like something new inside me wanted to come out. So I wrote a few new songs in an altered state, or rather, a channeling state, that seemed to flow just magically. Two of those songs were chosen as demos. Sandcastle Dreams was written for Brindy at a time I was dreaming of sandy beaches. Later, I would realize how prophetic it would be. Life had changed radically after separating from my daughter's father. We moved into a beautiful townhouse with a close friend. While we had a lot of fun, Brindy missed her dad a lot, and there wasn't a way to get around her desire to see him. 
Her dad had moved back to the area. So I called, asking if he would please take her. Finally, he agreed, making Brindy very happy. It just so happened to be the night I recorded the demo in a middle-of-the-night session block. After a couple of months working with a producer and one of the best vocal coaches in the business, we recorded my songs. After a very exhilarating studio adventure, I went home to sleep, knowing I fulfilled my end of the deal. I'd had fun. Amazed by the whole experience, I floated along on cloud nine as I began to understand the principles of conscious manifestation. My joy was intense as I basked in the feeling of singing and recording my songs. I didn't have a single warning about how our lives were about to change again. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Gold Factor Podcast. If you're resonating to what you're hearing, please follow the podcast and even leave us a review. Also, share it on social media. You never know who you might help. Also, I invite you to join our Facebook community to connect with the tribe of heart-centered, ambitious individuals like you. Together, we can support each other on our paths to purpose and success. The link's in the description. Go to Facebook forward slash groups forward slash The Gold Factor and join our community. I'll see you in the next episode. Be blessed and be a blessing.